Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Daniel Neal shares a story of his travels. So, this story starts off uh, on a positive note. About uh, four years ago, I got, uh, I got a DUI, okay? I was, I was driving... I was driving in uh, Virginia Beach, which uh, unless you unless you like getting tickets, don't go driving in Virginia Beach. Doesn't matter if you're drinking or not. It's just uh, that's just how it is in Virginia Beach, in my in my personal opinion. Um, so I'm in Virginia Beach, and I'm there to pick up a very drunk friend who can't drive. I've had a couple drinks myself, but was totally able to drive. I go and pick her up, and uh, as we're heading back to Hampton, I see a couple of police. Uh, sitting at the bottom of the Lesnar Bridge. I'm on my way down there, and, and they pull me over, and, uh, you know, he's like, how much have you had to drink? I tell him, you know, two, two drinks. And for me, two drinks is like, you know, three fingers of whiskey. And uh, at that point, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't drunk, but I knew that I was over the limit, which isn't hard to do uh, in this area. But uh, the cop asked me to get out of the car, and, you know, we do the whole, uh, the whole, field sobriety test, which I'm, I'm, I'm positive I pass with flying colors, but he still wanted me to do a breathalyzer. And what I told him was, is like, I'll do the breathalyzer downtown. Like, you can take me downtown to jail, and I'll do the breathalyzer there. Like, because I felt like that would give me a little bit of time to, to kind of get it out of my system or whatever, and uh, hopefully blow under the limit. And um, I think that just really pissed the cop off because we got down there to jail. I waited for about four hours, and we went in front of the magistrate, and uh, he just told a completely different story than what happened. He said I had been stumbling during my field sobriety test, and when he offered me the test downtown in jail, um, which he never did offer to me, he uh, told the magistrate, and I quote, no, I'm not going to take your fucking breathalyzer. Which is not me. That's just not me. I don't talk like that, especially not to a cop. I'm trying to get out of trouble, not in more trouble. I'm not belligerent by any means. Um, I tried to dispute it in front of the magistrate. They're not trying to hear it. You know, they ended up pulling me away, sat and waited for another four hours, and then came back again. And at that point, I'm so weary that I was just I just went ahead with whatever the cops said. Um, and then, you know, I'm. You know, I've I've done my fair share of drinking and driving when I definitely shouldn't have been. So I kind of felt like at this moment it's karma being like, hey, you know, uh, for all those other times where you were way too drunk and you're driving, like, today's the day you're paying for it. So um, I, I get the thing and uh, get charged with uh, drunk driving and uh, I have to go to court. And uh, before that, I... I applied for a job on a cruise ship. And uh, so the, the moment for me to get on the cruise ship was shortly approaching, and uh, my job interview for that was actually pretty cool. I, uh, we had to do it over Skype. You know, I had to sit in front of my computer and do the, do the interview that way. And uh, as I'm preparing for the interview, I put on a shirt, you know, with a tie and button down and everything, and I sit down in front of my computer and realize that the camera really only has me from 
from you know here up so I was like I don't I don't even need pants you know I'm 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 already like one up on this interview you know I get to do this no pants like I felt like you know just much better about it and uh so I did the interview no pants and um got the job and uh, but before the job I had to go to court and all that stuff went to court and I decided not to get a lawyer I talked to a lawyer beforehand and he was just really honest with me he's like hey you can hire me and you're going to have to pay money. You know, you're going a lot of money. And I'm not sure you're going to win this one way or another and and he gave me the advice. He's like, you can hire me or you can try to defend yourself. Yeah, you know, basically if you hire me you're going to have to spend money no matter what. You can defend yourself no matter what. Long story short, I tried to defend myself, which uh I would not recommend doing. Um in my case, you know, I wrote down a bunch of stuff and I wasn't really familiar with legal proceedings, but uh Basically, it didn't work at all, and they took me um, directly from the courtroom to jail, which I had not planned on happening. Uh, I had borrowed my girlfriend's car to get there, and uh, you know she had to jump through all sorts of hoops to get her keys back and to get out and, and everything like that. It was, a, it was a real bummer for her, and obviously a real bummer for me. I'm, I'm uh, thinking I'm, uh, you know going to get prepared to be leaving for my to go work on this cruise ship and and here I am sitting in jail and uh and jail sucks it sucks a lot you know the uh everything they say is true the food's horrible whatever the one thing that uh I found personally that wasn't too bad was the um you know the people were generally nice there were you know nobody was like forcing me to come off of my you know juice cup or anything like that or nobody was harassing me um i basically just slept the entire time they gave me some sort of medication cuz uh, at the time i was i would drink about 5 whiskey drinks a day and i told the medical staff that and then they gave me this little pill that would just knock me out and they gave it to me like twice a day so i just basically slept the whole time and um my bunkmate, uh, who turned out to to be uh, an interesting fellow, he he had a stack of books, and he was like, "Hey, do you want to do you want to borrow a book and, and and read something?" I was like, "Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, kind of transplant my mind somewhere else to to not think about you know being in jail." And uh, so he gives me a uh, stack of books to choose from, and I find a book uh, written by an author named Louis Lamour. Is anyone familiar with Louis Lamour? He's a He's a Western writer. My stepdad used to read me Louis L'Amour books, and, um, you know, I was like, you know, what better place than just to transplant my mind to the the Western frontier and, you know, not think about being in shitty jail. So uh, as I'm reading the book, uh, it's coming to the point where the story's really getting up and going. It's getting really interesting, but I, I'm seeing that, you know, there's there's like at the end of the book, the, the, the back cover was missing, and there's like two pages, two pages that are blank, and, uh, and then the back cover is missing. So I'm like, maybe it's a short story. But I'm about three pages out, and I'm like, this is not going to wrap up in the next three pages. And, and the thing was is that my bunkmate was raving about how awesome this story was, and it just turns out half the fucking book was missing. And and I talked to some other people, and they're like, yeah, that guy's not all there. You know, he's a little bit weird. And and really, like, I could not have been more disappointed, you know, reading a book in my entire life. I'm in jail, and I'm trying to, you know, have this Western adventure. And 
the half the book is just gone, you know, so it sucked really bad. Anyways, I got out of jail after three days, which is a surprise. I thought I was going to be there for five, but it turns out they, they really just do half that time. So I get out of jail and um, very quickly get my uh, stuff in order. I sold my car, um, which, which ended up being a, a wonderful blessing. Uh, I've, I generally feel like I have good luck with things in life, but cars have not been one of them. And uh, sell my car and um, catch my flight. Had dinner with my mom before the flight. She paid for it, which was nice. And uh, get on the flight. And I'm looking at my ticket thing. And, you know, there's, it's like they have letters and, and numbers for the rows. And I was a B, which meant I was going to be in between two people. And no big deal. You know, I'm a pretty friendly person, whatever. And, uh, but my flight was from Virginia to San Diego. So it's going to be a little bit of a long flight. So I sit down in my middle seat, and uh, to the right of me in the window seat is this uh, very thin, balding man. And, uh, and then the, the plane is filling up and everything like that. And then I'm, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I lucked out. And, you know, nobody's going to sit in the aisle seat, and we can, you know, be a little bit more comfortable here. And so then I see walking onto the plane, no seats left, so it's obvious that uh, it's her seat. And uh, she was a um, very, 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 very large woman. And uh, she came, and uh, it was, you know, the seat next to me was going to be her seat. And uh, she came and sat down, and I had to take the armrest and put it up. She needed the double seatbelt thing and everything like that. And uh, she'd also been stuck in the airport for, like, the last three days or something like that. It was horrible. They had had all sorts of delays, so she'd been sleeping there. And uh, so she wasn't the freshest, if you know what I mean. And I'm just like, man, my, it's like just my luck. I'm stuck in between, you know, this super skinny guy and this, and this quite, quite large lady. And um, she kept falling asleep. And, you know, there was no armrest. So she, like, kind of had her arms, like, rested up on herself. And she's sleeping. And her arm would slowly, you know, come into contact with me. And then she'd jerk awake and put it back up, you know. And then uh, just, it happened, like, 15 times. And eventually I'm just like, it's okay. You can just rest your arm on me, like... Don't worry about it. And her arm ended up becoming my armrest, so it worked out. <laughs> but um, she and uh, me and the, the guy next to me turned out to be a teacher, and we start chatting and talking, and then we start talking about drinks and whiskey and stuff. So we order some drinks, and, uh, and, uh, and of course, we have to use the bathroom pretty often. And this poor lady, you know, literally had to peel herself out of the seat, you know, every 20 minutes when we had to go to the bathroom. It felt so bad for her, but... You know, it, it happens. I, I just, I just think you should probably go ahead and get yourself two seats. You know, if uh, but you know, money is tight, especially on airplanes and all that such. But anyways, I make myself to, uh, I mean, I make my way to the cruise ship, and um, the cruise ship for me was was fulfilling a lot of things that I've wanted uh, professionally out of a job, and one of those things was to to travel and get paid to travel. I've always wanted to be able to to see the world, but not have to, you know, spend all the money to, to do it. So um, got onto the cruise ship, and I got a really awesome job, and uh, my job was technical director, which meant I was in charge of all the stages, all the lighting and sound for the whole ship, a really cool job. And, um, and once I got on the ship and talked to the other crew members, you know, like everyone wanted that job. You get your own cabin to yourself, which 
when you have your own cabin, obviously you have more privacy. You know, you don't have five other roommates, which everyone else on the ship does. And, um, you know, that, that kind of rates you sexually higher up the, the ladder. It's like down at crew bar, you know, I'll just be sitting down there hanging out, having some drinks and, and, and ladies who, uh, you know, beautiful women from, from all over the world would come up to me and ask to stay in my room just for the simple fact that they hated their roommates and they knew that I lived alone. So, so it was uh, very, very little work involved for me to, to have some female company on the ship. But um, so, so I fulfilled my, my, one, my one requirement, which was to, to work on a, to, to travel and get paid to travel. And... Um, which was which was really awesome. My my cruise ship happened to go from San Diego to Hawaii, from Hawaii to French Polynesia, French Polynesia to Australia, and then to New Zealand, Tasmania, um, and then we'd hit Bali and then go back. And we did that a whole bunch of times. It was really 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 cool. The only thing that sucked though, and I had to learn this the hard way, unfortunately, was the whole corporate nature of, of my job. You know, I had to, had to work, uh, you know, in a, in a very corporate structure. And as a stage technician, you know, I'm really used to being the guy behind the controls and, uh, and just really being more in touch with stuff like that. But it turns out I was more of a schedule writer and a, and a more of like a, uh, audiovisual team diplomat. You know, somebody screws up, I've got to go to the meeting to smooth it all over. I wasn't doing much of the technical job that I really enjoyed. And also I found out the hard way that um, there's a lot of, you know, there's just a lot of, uh, you know, for example, I worked directly with the production manager and she sucked at her job. She just did plain and simple. And because she sucked at her job, part of what she did was talk a lot of shit about everyone else to take the heat off of herself, you know. She's so busy making everyone else look like shit that no one's paying attention to how bad she sucks, you know. And um, it's, uh, it's been a few months. I've been on the ship, and I'm waiting to get my, you know, performance review, and I get a call to, uh, to come down to the cruise director's office, and I'm kind of stoked to see how well I did and everything like that. And uh, he pulls open my file and then starts reading off this list of things that I had done wrong that I that I never knew that I had done wrong in the first place. Uh, one of them was growing a beard while while you're on the ship, which you're not allowed to do. If you show up with a beard, which I did, you can keep it but you can't grow one while you're on the ship, especially when you uh, come in contact with the guests, which I did. And, uh, but really all that happened was I just trimmed it really short and, and then was in the process of growing it back. But so they had grew a beard, you know, I was on a ladder, you know, when the seas were too high, my production manager was like, Oh, you shouldn't be up there. The seas are too rough. You're going to fall off the ladder. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm in charge of this technical stuff. We need to get this damn curtain closing the way it's supposed to. I'm doing my job. Like basically just told her just like, Hey, I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. That was on there. So there's this whole list of just things that I've done wrong, you know, that I had no idea that I'd even done wrong in the first place. And I also found out from talking to some of my 
crew members, you know, who I was the boss of that before I started working there, the guy that I replaced, you know, who, who cycles out, you know, comes back on the ship had told them, you know, to basically sabotage me, you know, they're like, you know, make this like, don't, don't, don't let him do a good job. If he does something wrong, don't tell him, you know, like, uh, basically just let him screw up so he doesn't get asked back. You know what I mean? And after six months of doing this, uh, job, which I really enjoyed, um, it's, uh, it really left me pretty jaded. You know, I, I had been working in the stage direction, stage management stuff for, for almost 10 years now. And it's really my dream job to be able to travel and everything like that. And then it was just kind of a smack in the face. And, uh, one of the really cool things about being on the ship, uh, which might not be cool to everybody, was that you're kind of you're kind of separated from the real world. You know, you're you're almost living a vacation, even though you're working, because all of the the news media, all of the terrible stuff that's going on in the world is still happening, obviously, but it's just not in front of your face. You know, you're 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 not in front of the TV with the CNNs and the Foxes telling you all this horrible stuff that's happening in the world. You know, and um, so you're just kind of in a in a, in a on a dream boat, you know, just traveling and just like kind of removed from all of the the craziness and the nonsense of the world and and sort of vicariously living the the carefree everything is beautiful and wonderful life that the guests are experiencing on the ship and I really really liked that, but I got an email one day from my mom and. Uh, Making calls and all that stuff is really tough on the ship. Uh, it's really expensive, too. And even the Internet is expensive. You actually have to pay per minute. And I, I swear to God, I racked up probably $1,000 just trying to, you know, surf uh, freaking Reddit or something like that. Don't even think about YouTube or if you have a pornography addiction. There's just, there's, it's just not going to happen. Um, so I get an email from my mom, and uh, my mom told me that she had breast cancer. And, you know, at, at no moment in my life that I ever felt like truly helpless, you know, there's, there's, I can't be there. I can't see her. I can't you call her barely, you know what I mean? Um, there were certain points when we were in the middle of the Pacific and making a phone call, you know, was just impossible. So, um, it was just a real smack to the face as much as I felt removed from all the bullshit in the world and all the nonsense, you know, I felt that, uh, I felt that, you know, you know, it's just reality is, is, uh, is a real thing. And my mom's got breast cancer. So, um, so it turns out, uh, we, you know, we, we talk to each other and everything and she's telling me everything she's going through and everything works out and, uh, she's okay, which is a huge major relief for me. And, uh, so I get off the cruise ship eventually with a with a bad taste in my mouth. You know, the, the whole corporate experience uh, really just messed me up. And also, I kind of had an epiphany being a stage person. You know, you're always backstage. You're always, you know, running the lights. You're always, you know, doing the setup and then the, the loadout and all of that stuff. And my since I was a kid, I've been into music and I've... I've you know, always, always wanted to be a performer. So when I got home, I just kind of had a little bit of a nomadic spell 
And the first thing I did was buy a bicycle because I was like, you know, screw cars. I'm just going to get a ticket or a DUI in Virginia Beach. Um, so I bought myself a bicycle and traveled around and uh, moved in with my with my girlfriend at the time. And we lived in a tiny studio apartment. And, and really, I was just trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with myself. Like, I had the chance to go back to the cruise ship, but also you know, had the chance to just do whatever the hell I wanted. I had zero responsibility and uh, no kids, no marriage, no nothing. I just basically was just trying to keep my girlfriend happy. And, um, but I wasn't, (laughs) I was doing the best I could, but, uh, she really just needed, we were just at two different points. She just needed more, more commitment from me than, uh, than I guess I was willing to give at the time. Um, so while I was on the cruise ship, I found an accordion in the costumes locker. And in San Francisco, I mailed this accordion home. And I'm just, I love instruments. I've, you know, played a little bit of everything. And so me and my girlfriend aren't getting along. And I find this accordion sitting in the corner. And I'm just like, you know, it's, it's about 4.45. She gets home at 5 o'clock. And I'm just like, you know what, let me, let me go play this accordion and be, be out of the house, out of her hair and everything. And, uh... So I did. I went out and I played this accordion. And the first song that I taught myself was Delilah by Tom Jones. You guys familiar with that song? So I taught myself that. Um, You can probably ask some of the people who live on The Hague. uh, They would probably uh, uh, confirm that story. Um, So I taught myself that. And I had this metal cup that I'd always uh, walk around with. And uh, this is my drink cup, you know. And I'm holding it while I'm playing the of the accordion and some guy randomly comes up to me and drops two dollars and twenty cents into my vodka tonic and you know I just kind of smile at him and I'm just looking at this two dollars and twenty cents floating in my drink and I, I take it out and I just all of a sudden just realize that like it's like hey maybe I can go on the street with this darn accordion and, and, and do something so I get out uh, over by the narrow and I play the accordion. I made about eight dollars, which I promptly spent on toilet paper <laughs> and uh, maybe a loaf of bread or something. And um, and then I I put together the whole one man band setup and started doing that. But uh, for me, you know, um, me and the girl girlfriend we we broke up and it was the stereotypical, you know throwing stuff out of the window, you know what I mean? I'm like trying to catch it, you know what I mean? And, and it's just a really, really messy breakup. And for some people that's, that is the, you know, that's the inspiration they need and the the passion they need to create. I'm the opposite. I need peace and I need, I need, you know, positivity and I need happiness in order for me to feel creative and stuff like that. So I just, uh, got rid of all of the BS in my life, you know, as best as I could. The first year back was a little bit rough, but I, I did it. And, and I just kept hoping for, for things to come my way. I, I hoped that people would receive my music well, and I hoped that, you know, being a street musician could be something that, you know, would, would work out for me. And, and it did. And I also learned that just the actual act of hoping for things especially when you're happy and you're feeling good and you're feeling positive, those things start to happen and they come to you in an organic and natural way. It's, it's really beautiful. And in the past couple of years, I've, I've experienced it firsthand. And I've, I've also learned to take the, you know, some of the, the negative things that have happened to me, you know, such as the DUI 
and uh, turn it into a positive thing. Now I'm riding my bike everywhere. I'm in better shape. You know, I love riding my bike. You know, I save money. Um, and it's like, you know, that judge who, who convicted me, you know, um, just really did me a favor. And the cruise ship, you know, with the people that I worked with being, you know, total a-holes, they did me a favor. I'm in a, a, a point in my life where I am able to create and play and, and see people enjoy what I do and, um, and it's a beautiful thing. And uh, there's really nothing that's, that, that can replace that. And, you know, the, the only thing I can say is that just never, ever lose hope. And as long as you hope and you ask for the things that you, you want to come your way, they'll come your way. And, and your life will be better off because of it. And that's it. Thank you so much, guys. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just see the show live, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.